Today we're going we're gonna to go through a, a fascinating thing. I, I've been talking about this every week, about the covenant and how the covenant of God is different today than it was in the Old Testament. And a lot of times we confuse God being different in the New Testament and the Old Testament and really what we should understand is God is not different. He's the same. And I, and I hope over the last month as we started this series that you're starting to learn that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. His character has not changed. And he is merciful. He is consuming. He is jealous. He is good. And he loves his people. And so we are going to read today about the differences of the Old Covenant and the new covenant. And so I'm going to read from chapter 11, uh, verses 13 to 17. Starting in verse 13, you can read along with me on your screen. Moses says this to the people of Israel. He says, if you carefully obey the commands I am giving you today, and if you love the Lord your God and serve him with all of your heart and soul, then he will send the rains in their proper seasons the early and the late rains, so you can bring in your harvest of grain, new wine and olive oil. He will give you lush pasture, land for your livestock, and you yourselves will have all you want to eat. But be careful, don't let your heart be deceived so that you turn away from the Lord and serve and worship other gods. If you do, the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut up the sky and hold back the rain and the ground will fall, fail to produce its harvest. Then you will quickly die in that good land that the Lord is giving you. And so today... Uh, we've kind of heard these kinds of things alluded to in the last month as we've been reading in Deuteronomy. But today we're going to talk about explicitly what is the difference between the old covenant and the new? Because it really changes our relationship with God. And this passage explains the change in that relationship. And that's why we're covering that today as we go through Deuteronomy. And, and like I said before, and we've been hitting home is when you look at the change in the covenant, what happens is it changes our relationship with God. And because our relationship with God changes, a lot of people misconceive that, and they misunderstand that to think God has changed. But he hasn't. And we're really going to try to dig deep in as much as you can in 30 minutes into the difference. I mean, people have devoted their lives to kind of reading and learning about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. So we're going to give a survey. We're going to scratch the surface of what that means to help us process what we are reading and look at what we're reading with new eyes and understand as we read the Old Testament, how do we process what we're reading? How do we process this relationship God has with his people in the New Testament and in the Old Testament? And so the first thing that we have to realize is that the covenant that God has, the, as you say, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, means this. The covenant God has with us is really the relationship that he has with us. How does he interact with us? What, is it, what does it look like to be in relationship with God? What does it look like uh, to, to be following God, to be obedient to God? What does it look like in your life? How does God react to that? How, does, how do we react to that? And so if we look at the Old Covenant, which was instituted by Moses, the law, 
at Horeb, at the, at the mountain where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And what Moses is doing in Deuteronomy is he is preaching through the Ten Commandments one last time before they enter into the Promised Land. We see that the Old Covenant instituted by Moses had this, if we boiled it down, this basic relationship with God. If you follow the law, if you follow what I told you to do, then you are going to be blessed. That's what we read in the first part of our verses in chapter 11. And if you don't follow the law, if you don't follow the commandments I've given you, then you are going to be cursed. So this is the simple form of the relationship God has when the covenant that he has with him. If you follow, you are blessed. If you don't follow, you are cursed. And so many times we deeply confuse this covenant with how we perceive God today. And we're going to kind of as we dive deep and understand this more, we're going to talk about how that has affected our theology or our understanding of God and how we relate to him today and how that needs to change. But ultimately, what happens with this covenant that God has with Israel that we see the culmination at the end of Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses goes in depth. What are the blessings if you follow the law? What are the curses if you don't follow the law? What has happened is Israel could not follow the law. They tried as a people, but over and over again, they failed. They were disobedient and they turned away from following the law that Moses had given them. So they continually broke the covenant. And if you read the story of Israel, you read about how many times God tried to rein them in, rein them in. But little by little, you see the curses start to fall upon them. The beginning of that you see is when the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered. After Solomon, King Solomon, his son split the kingdom in two. You had the northern kingdom, Israel, later known as Samaria. And then you have the southern kingdom known as Judah, where Jerusalem was. And so first the northern kingdom is conquered and they are dispersed. And then the southern kingdom later on is conquered and then they are dispersed. You see, Israel started trying to come back to their land And then the curses of the law and the ending of the old covenant has its culmination in A.D. 70 when Rome comes and they destroy the temple. They rip it brick from brick. They destroy it so that the old covenant can no longer be practiced anymore. Even if Israel wanted to keep the old covenant, they couldn't because they no longer had the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't have the, they couldn't perform the sacrifices and the rites and the rituals that were supposed to take place at the temple. God's presence was no longer there. So that was the ultimate ending. And if you read Josephus, a historian, at the time of AD 70, you read really about the destruction of Israel. You read about how the curses of the law came upon them fully at this time. And the old covenant uh, was truly fulfilled through Jesus and ended at this time in AD 70. And so what is different about the new and the old? And that's what we're going to go over today. We're going to go over some major points that are different from the new and the old. And we can worship God and celebrate and thank him for sending Jesus. And I think we'll be able to do this in a greater scale by the end of today. But first, I want to read two verses after I get over my puberty. 
So if you didn't believe me that we're done with the old covenant, I want you to read this with me. We're going to read, we're going to, we're going to be jumping in Hebrews a lot today. Because uh, Hebrews is the book of the Bible that really goes over how Jesus is the better everything. He is the better everything from the Old Testament. And so read with me uh, on the screen, Hebrews 8, verse 13. And right after that, we're going to read Hebrews 9, verse 15. Hebrews 8, verse 13 says, When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. Hebrews 9.15, this is before AD 70, and so that's why he says soon disappear. 9.15, he says, that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. Or why Jesus does that. So that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. So we see the passing away of the old covenant, and we see the institution by Jesus of a new covenant. And so the actual covenant differences are really amazing and they're beautiful because the more you understand the old covenant, the more you can appreciate the new covenant that Jesus brings. And so the first thing that I want to look at is the greater promise in Jesus. The difference, the first difference, the greater promise in Jesus. So the old covenant, as we read, and that is constantly talked about is this. Your promise is material blessing. God is going to make it rain on the land. You are going to get flock. You are going to get uh, great pasture. You're going to be a great nation. So what you see, uh, the blessings or the old covenant institutes, it institutes prosperity. This is the promise of the old covenant to the people of Israel. It's a promise of national security to the people of Israel. They will be a great nation and they will prosper. And that they will become God's treasured nation on the earth. That God, that they will be his only people. That they will be the apple of his eye. The people that he loves on the earth. And so really what you see in the old covenant is a material wealth that is established with it. If you follow the law, if you follow the covenant, you are going to prosper. You are going to get rain. I'm going to make you have a lot of flock. You're going to have a lot of children. You're going to be a numerous people. You are going to flourish. You're going to be a nation that grows, that keeps on growing. And so when we read the old covenant, we see a lot of promises of wealth. We see a lot of promises of health. We see a lot of material blessing that is wrapped up in the old covenant. With the new covenant, the promise moves from material blessing to eternal blessing. And so this is, as Jesus says in the great Sermon on the Mount that we went through, he says, what you get is not something that can rot. It's not something that if you put it away, that rust is going to destroy it. It's not something like a precious material that moths can come in in your closet and eat it up. It is not something material that you have, not something that you can put in a treasure box. It's not gold that you can amass. It's not health. It's not wealth. It's not all of these things that were part of the old. But now what you get is you get eternal life. And what you get in eternal life is you get something that can never be destroyed by rust. You get something that can never be eaten by a moth. You get something that can never be destroyed by human hands or the elements of the earth. And so what's really interesting is in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, 
the Christian life on earth is actually reversed. It's marked by suffering. If you look at the life of Paul, you look at what Jesus told his disciples, he told them that they were going to suffer like him. And Jesus, as the prime example, is the one who suffered the most unto death because of being obedient to the Father. And the disciples started the tradition, all the apostles, of following in the footsteps. The more that they suffered, the more that they felt close to Jesus on earth. Isn't that incredible? Because they knew what they were promised from God was no longer a material and earthly thing, but what they were promised from God was something that was so much better than an earthly piece of land or some money in their bank account or some new clothes or new shoes or a new car or a better job. What they were promised from God was an eternal blessing of being in the holy of holies forevermore. What they were promised from God affected their eternal situation rather than their earthly material goods. The second thing that we see that is different in the new and the old is that Jesus is the greater high priest. See, in the Old Testament, once a year, there was a high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies. And what this priest had to do was he had to go through all of these purification rituals and cleansing rituals so that when he entered in to the Holy of Holies, there were three layers in the temple. There were the outer courts, the inner courts, and the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And only once a year was one priest allowed into the Holy of Holies because when you enter into the majesty of God, what would happen is the sinfulness of man could not stand within the holiness presence of God. And so that people would die when they entered into his presence, when they would touch the ark without being at a place of being pure and clean. And so once a year, there was one person that was set apart that would go to the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God on behalf of the nation and begin to pray and offer sacrifices. And what was interesting is what they would do is they would tie a bell around his ankle when he would go in there so that they could hear the bell jingling when he was in there because they knew if the bell stopped jingling, then he did something wrong and he was dead and they had a rope tied to his foot and they would pull him out of the Holy of Holies if they heard the bell stop to jingle. This is true. So they would constantly walk around because that is the presence of God, that you cannot enter it sinful. You cannot enter it in a place of sinfulness. And so now in the New Covenant... We have Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father, acting as a high priest for all people, and he is forever in the presence of the Father. And he is not offering the blood of goats and lambs and ox, but he offered his own blood as atonement or as a price to forever sit in the Holy of Holies. And what happened because of this? When Jesus died, it was recorded in the Gospels that the veil that separated the inner courts from the Holy of Holies 
They say that this veil was, I forget how thick, but it was like almost three feet thick, if I remember correctly. It was a very thick piece of cloth that separated the holy from holy, the holy of holies from the inner courts. And when Jesus dies and he says it is finished and his blood was offered so that he can forevermore sit in the presence of God as a high priest for all people, what happened is that veil was ripped in two. So that the Holy of Holies was no longer something that only one person can go in and experience once a year, but now Jesus, as the high priest for all people, continually sits at the right hand of the Father so that all can enter into his presence at all times in all places. Praise God. In Hebrews 10, 19, it says this, and it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And so in the old covenant... Regular people like me and you, we were not allowed into the Holy of Holies. We were not allowed into the presence of God simply because we were too sinful and impure and unclean to enter into his presence. We would have been struck down dead if we entered into it. He is so magnificently holy and wondrous and awe-inspiring. But now through Jesus... We have a high priest in heaven who is constantly sitting at the right hand of the Father. Who, with his blood, paid the price so that he could say, no, you're good. He's good to enter. You can enter. You can enter. You can enter. Why? Because we are not entering with our own sacrifice. We are not entering based off our own purity. We are not entering based off our own cleanliness. But when we enter, we are covered with the blood of the high priest, Jesus Christ, who lets us go boldly before the throne of Christ and enter into the holy of holies continuously every day. And this is the new covenant. That we are no longer separated with the veil. But we have a high priest who is constantly speaking on our behalf to the Father. And pointing to the blood of his sacrifice that was perfect and covered all. So that me and you can enter in. So next time you want to enter in, you say, I'm not good enough. Say, yeah, you're right. You are not good enough. It's not your righteousness. But Jesus was good enough for me so that I can enter into his presence today. And go before boldly into the holy presence of God. The greater mediator was Jesus. See, the mediator is a person who stood in between God and the people to create a new covenant. In the old covenant, Moses was the mediator. On the mountain, God spoke with him. He was the one who received the law and then Moses brought that law to the people. In the new covenant, this was mediated by Jesus. He was the one that stood in the gap. He was the one that connected man's sinfulness and God's holiness. And through him, he mediated a better and a more perfect covenant between God and man. 
So that no longer was there another covenant that would be necessary. No longer was there any imperfection in the covenant. Because we know from the life of Moses that he was an imperfect person. Imperfect to the degree that he actually never saw the promised land. That because of his sin, the consequence of that was he could see it, but he could never walk into it. But Jesus, the perfect mediator, mediated a greater covenant, a perfect covenant between God and man. So that this is the only covenant that we need now that is not just for some people on earth to do some things, but it is for all people on earth to be in everything that God has to offer. The greater sacrifice was Jesus. In the Old Covenant, when you read Leviticus, you know, a lot of people... A lot of people's dreams to read through the Bible die in Leviticus. It's just, it's just the truth. And, and this is the reason, because when you read Leviticus, you read through all of the rituals and sacrifices that people had to do to stay clean and part of the society of Israel. And so in the Old Covenant, what happens is that there was continual sacrifice of animals. They had to spill the blood of, of goats and of lambs to temporarily cover their sins so that they can have forgiveness before God. And they would go through these purification rituals and cleansing rituals, not to generally, it wasn't always that they were sinful, it was just because they would enter a state of uncleanliness, whether they were sick. Um, or all these different reasons. And so they would go through these. What was sinful was to be in a state of uncleanliness and then not go through the proper cleansing. And so all of this is we see in Leviticus. And we see all these different sacrifices and things that the people had to do. But in the new covenant, Jesus is described as the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed providing forgiveness for all who believe. And so Jesus' sacrifice was so great and so perfect that there was no longer ever going to be a need again for another animal to be sacrificed. And so because of the sacrifice of Jesus in this new covenant, that sacrifice, His blood, the perfect Lamb of God who was slain, that blood now covers all of our sin. So all of the sin that were to ever happen, Jesus' sacrifice, his perfect sacrifice, covered that. And so if you ask yourself, God, can you forgive me of this? The answer is, if you don't think God can forgive you of this, and what you're really doing is you're not saying God is not able to forgive. You're saying Jesus' sacrifice was not great enough for you. What you're really saying is that Jesus' perfection truly wasn't perfect. That there is something else that needs to be done in order to conquer this sin that you have. That he was not great enough. He was not perfect enough. And his blood was not enough for you. The other thing that we don't like to talk about a lot is the greater judgment that is in Jesus. 
Now, I was reading this, and I just had to stop while I was reading this, and I began to pray. And I, and I pray that it has the same effect on you. We're going to read from Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 31. Listen with this. It says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is what the author is saying. In the old covenant, when you were God's people and then you deliberately disobeyed what happened, you were stoned. You were killed. There was a mortal death that happened. But in the new covenant, disobedience leads to more than this destruction of the mortal body. Jesus says this, do not fear the one who can kill the body, but really you should fear the one who can cast both the body and the soul into hell. That is the one that you should fear. Now this is not talked about much in church because it's not a fun topic, but we have to talk about this. See, in the old covenant, your body was destroyed and that was it. But in the new covenant, what happens is that when you have come to the light and you have seen Jesus and you have experienced him and you see the living God and his perfect sacrifice and then you spit on that, what happened is you are spitting on the Son of God. You are spitting on the Most Holy One. You are spitting on the Righteous One whose blood was shed for us and you are saying his blood is not good enough for me. And that should convict our hearts and say, God, I hope and I pray that I never come to a place where I experience your goodness and I see your holiness and I know about your blood and what it can do for me and I walk away from that. Because it's really, we shouldn't fear the people that can kill the body. But we should fear the one who can cast both the body and the soul into hell. The thing about the old covenant and the new covenant is everything in the new covenant is so much greater. It's so much more powerful. It's so much more potent. And we have to understand that God is holy, that he is consuming, and that he also brings down judgment. And if we look at a God who only is throwing grace and only is throwing all these good vibes and things at people, but we never look at a God who is also just and righteous and holy and brings judgment on his people, then we're not getting a full picture of who God is. And in order to truly serve God, obey him and know who he is, we have to know about his judgment. And if we didn't talk about it, then I would be judged 
for not bringing it to your attention. See, the main difference between the old and the new covenant is this. Galatians, Paul says that the old covenant brought death. If we look at Israel, we see that they could not follow it, that their paths constantly led to destruction and to death. And in the new covenant, we see this, that the spirit brings life and that the spirit brings freedom. So when we look at what God has instituted, he has instituted a covenant for us, a relationship with us that brings life, that brings freedom from sin and freedom from death. That now, through Jesus, we have a life that the presence, the Holy Spirit of God can literally fill us every single day, transform and renew our mind and our body so that we become free from sin. We become free from death and we begin to follow and obey Christ in ways that we never thought possible before. See, what what has happened is in today's day and age, there is be. There's come many bad theologies. And how that happens is people look at the old covenant and they start acting like the old covenant is the covenant that we live in today. And because of that, we get things like legalism. Legalism says this. It says, obey in order to be saved. It says, if you want to come in this church, you better have a nice suit on. You better have the right haircut. You better have not have makeup, have the right makeup. I can't keep up with legalism these days. You better do it this way. You better do it that way. If you want to be saved, you better come the right way. But the new covenant, the gospel says that you are loved and that love and that grace leads you to obedience. See, legalism says God's love for you is conditional. Legalism says this, that you will experience the blessing, you'll experience the curse based on following the law. It's based on your merit. Can you do it or not? The gospel says this, we know we can't do it. And it's purely based on what Jesus has done. And so thanks be to God that we don't live under the law, but we live under freedom through Jesus Christ. The prosperity gospel says this, obey and you will have material possession in your life. The prosperity gospel says if you are lacking health, wealth, and prosperity, then guess what? You are lacking something in God. That's the old covenant. Somebody read the Old Testament too much and brought it into the New Testament. Whereas Jesus says, when you follow me, your life will be marked with suffering. The New Covenant says that really it's not material possession anymore that is what you get from following. But faith that leads to obedience in Jesus brings eternal life. 
which it doesn't matter what people can take away from you or what people give you in life. I've been times of plenty. I've been in times of having nothing. But in all of those times, I know that nothing can rob me of eternal life and the inheritance that God has given me through Jesus Christ. See, and lastly, in Hebrews 11, it says this, really, it's always been about faith. That's what it's always been about. It should blow your mind. Because what happens in Hebrews 11 is the author starts to write testimony after testimony of people who lived by faith in the Old Testament and received God because of it. Two of the people that come to mind that always blow my mind is this, Rahab the prostitute. This is a woman who should have been stoned for being a prostitute, who was not even an Israelite who is not Jewish, but because of her faith in God, became part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. If you read the lineage of Jesus, Rahab is in it, a prostitute. And then you have Jacob the deceiver. That's literally what his name meant. Who should have been downcast, who should have never had a part to play. But instead, God changes his name to Israel and makes from him this great nation on the earth. See, how much more through a better and perfect covenant in Christ will we have eternal blessing because of our faith in Jesus? God is still looking for people of faith today. It doesn't matter what your life circumstance is like. It doesn't matter if you are a prostitute. It doesn't matter if you are a deceiver. It doesn't matter if you are a murderer like Paul. It does not matter what past circumstances have happened in your life. God is not looking for perfect people. That's what Jesus was for, his perfect son. What he's looking for is people to have faith in him and that leads to obedience and eternal life in him.